0: Hello everyone and welcome to The Lisa Show, where each week my guests from Luxembourg and more internationally bring us their wisdom on a whole range of topics. My guests today are, as always, the wonderful Sasha Kyo. I'm also joined by Kate Buckridge, Dr. Kate Buckridge, who is just sitting in a corner for now, Sergio Coronado and also Julia Tanjigan. Is that the correct pronunciation? No. You can tell me later. We're going to talk about all sorts, but as always, we're going to start with a look
1: back at the week's news. So, Sasha, well, where do we begin with this week's news, I wonder? Well, I was putting, again, the list together last night and I was feeling a bit gloomy, thinking, oh, gosh, the news is quite heavy again. And I came in this morning, and as you can see, Christmas has been declared at uh, RTL Today morning shows. So we've got Twinkly Lights, Sam's been playing Christmas songs, it's the day after Thanksgiving. And uh, I was like, well, actually, it's not that gloomy, there's loads to talk about that's more fun. (laughs) I know, do you know, I learned a
0: very interesting, well, first of all, I have to say, uh, it's incredible when I see Meredith Moss and... uh... Last night, because we record this on Friday mornings, was Thanksgiving. I don't know how many hours sleep she's had. Not many. Not many. (laughs) (laughs) She looks incredible with her big jangly earrings, high on energy, probably, uh, possibly some alcohol still in the bloodstream (laughs) from last night's Thanksgiving. Um, But she said, because we had the not the news quiz this morning, and she told me that on Black Friday, only about a fifth of the
1: so-called giveaways are actually real are genuine. Yeah. Ah, okay. Four so they were fifths. always that price anyway. They haven't yeah. been reduced. Four fifths is just a gone.
0: Yeah, there we go. So we have to be careful about that. But you're right. Yeah, the studio is beginning to feel a lot like Christmas. Yes. And the news, um, yeah, as you said, you know, when I was reading all of the notes and everything, it's, uh, well, let's start with the heavy stuff first of all.
1: Yes, I'm in U- Ukraine. As as we said last week, the, it's getting really cold, and I think the Russians are using winter as the ultimate weapon. So, uh, you know, there were cruise missile attacks the whole whole of last week, and particularly again overnight uh, attack. In particular, attacking the energy infrastructure. So um, the Ukrainians are working incredibly hard to to get energy back on because obviously, if citizens don't have energy, they don't just have no light and no electricity uh, which the who said today if there's no heating it's it's so cold uh, they're really fearful of of hypothermia across the uh, population the civil population and this is why the ukrainian president zelensky in his address to the un said these are crimes against humanity because it's civilians that are being targeted Uh, You know, the Moldovan foreign minister also uh, warned of a humanitarian catastrophe in his country because they are totally reliant on Ukrainian electricity. So as ever, it's a a massive topic. Um, You know, you can only feel so sorry for people living there, for for the soldiers fighting in in the cold. Uh, It's just relentless, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it really is. And I have no words to say that. We we are so lucky to be here and it almost feels surreal. But of course, I know there's so many people in Luxembourg really trying to help and support all of the uh, Ukrainian organizations which are based here as well. But it's not the only thing that's happened this week. Also, we had an Indonesian earthquake.
1: Yes, yes, with a very high uh, casualty uh, at the, at, currently it stands at about 271. I know that figure always changes. Um, but it was really, it's always sad, but it was really sad because it was particularly children and women that were affected because it was it happened during a time when people were resting from school. And um, I mean, there was one really upbeat story which really moved me to tears was a little rescue of a little boy um, who was pulled out of the rubble after two days seemingly unharmed um, just saying he was hungry and he was given a coconut drinking coconut milk and it was a lovely very moving miracle rescue it was called but unfortunately obviously uh, not everyone has been rescued and as ever in places like that the issue uh, according to the Indonesian president he said you know we have earthquakes We, we know this it's the housing because it's just not um, it's not designed to, that to sort of yeah, to withstand, to withstand like it, that. and the death tolls and the injuries are all from housing, yeah. you know, from being trapped under rubble.
0: Yeah, and actually speaking about little boys, uh, very sad anniversary as well—the three-year anniversary of a little boy that was crushed in Luxembourg a completely random, tragic accident by a collapsing ice sculpture on the Christmas market.
1: Yes, so it was three years um, uh, this week since since it's happened. And I I remember it really well because it was so shocking. It was an ice sculpture Mm -hmm. which weighed uh, two tons and a piece fell off uh, weighing, they say, think about 700 kilos that crushed this little boy. The extraordinary thing is that the investigation is still ongoing to this day, three years later. That is very strange. It's it is strange, but they they, they I, I read up on it, and they said that you know there is always new information coming to light. I mean, this eye sculpture was sculpted on the day that the accident happened. Um, the sculptor says there is no way that it would have broken off uh, on its own, oh. and there are eleven people currently still under investigation. Um, so I I think it. I d- but there I don't must have been cameras. There must be cameras, CCTV on the square. Well, I know that investigators, the public prosecutors have asked for video footage, for mobile phone footage of what happened. But it's obviously more complicated to assign... Blame, blame mm-hmm. than than just a, a random accident that that happened. Um, so it's okay. it's really. Uh, but what a sad sad anniversary. Obviously, we've never yeah. had any ice sculptures since. But uh, yeah. especially at a Christmas market and a little child. Yes. So we think of him and his family. Yes. Of course, yes. Absolutely. Well, I suppose
0: we have to talk a little bit about the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I,
1: I think it would be remiss not to even mention it. Yes. I noticed yeah. actually more, there are far more uh, female football commentators out there than there ever used to be. Finally. Yes, yes. It <laughs> seems to be that uh, women are also more interested in football, maybe. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it's obviously it's the most controversial World Cup ever held, I reckon. Um you know, they they were told, or the FIFA boss said to people before it started. It started on Sunday. Please, you know, let's concentrate on the football now. All the all the controversies are sort of in the past about the migrant workers and living conditions and and gay rights, etc. However, it hasn't gone away. It really hasn't gone away. Forty eight hours before it started. Suddenly, alcohol was banned from the stadiums, so uh, you know the the, the um, beer was sponsored by Budweiser, and they had to move them to hotels and further away from the stadiums. And then, of course, um, there's been a gag on uh, the One Love armbands, which yeah. a lot of European teams wanted to wear, including the uh, England captain um, wanted wanted to wear in one band, sorry, One Love armband, as did the German captain, and. Um, when the Germans posed for their team photo, they they uh, all covered their mouths uh, to show that they felt gagged. So, you know, it, it has carried on. Apparently, the Wales team who are playing today um, have now been allowed to wear rainbow hats and flags. So there seems to be some kind of... Uh,
0: I heard a lovely Backstep. story about the Wales team, actually, uh, on, a, actually on a BBC radio station. And this wonderful Welshman uh, was talking about the fact that uh, not everybody could afford to go to Qatar. So they ended up in Tenerife and uh, they just wanted some sunshine. <laughs> and also they get, uh, you know, sunshine they can watch. And they also have more affordable alcohol because, you know, alcohol in Qatar is, uh, well, not yes. allowed in the stadium. And it's also not cheap.
1: <laughs> so, that's Quite, so funny. they're
0: enjoying it from Tenerife
1: instead of Qatar. <laughs> and then I wonder whether some of them have been lots of upsets in the actual football. Um, mm. You know, yes, there has been. Even I know that. Yeah, exactly. So Argentina losing <laughs> yeah. and uh, uh, and Germany Germany losing exactly. Yeah. And I wondered whether it's anything to do with the heat, but I'm no expert, so I'm sure people and would tell day, us the time of day. They're um, that's maybe some teams are. Better at but playing you in this kind elite of temperatures. teams at that level would have taken that into account and gone to training camps in. I would have time thought so. <laughs> I'm sure. And also, aren't the stadiums air conditioned? So they're jolly cold, actually. Yeah,
0: I don't know, but
1: possibly as, yeah. as as a as a spectator you Which get. is not very good for the climate. Quite
0: toxic. <laughs> yes,
1: absolutely no. It's it doesn't seem to be a very climate friendly um, World Cup.
0: No. No, although I did, you know, that the picture that stays with me from what I've seen, the little I've seen of the World Cup so yes. far, is the Japanese collecting the rubbish after the game. Oh,
1: I didn't see that. Oh, I love
0: that picture. That was super nice. After they won, uh, they, they went around the stadium
1: and collected the rubbish before they celebrated. It, oh, wow. Because the picture that I remember is is the opening game and of course yeah. the stadium being empty after Qatar was losing and uh, people just walked out, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. So Well that's a very interesting World Cup. I, I suspect more people are watching it than admitting it. Oh, I'm sure. P- people kept saying, oh, no, I'm not going to watch it this time. No, that's it. Absolutely, I've had it. And yet I think they are. <laughs> oh. Oh
0: yeah, for sure. We'll see the figures at some point.
1: Now, Luxembourg has its first astronaut. Isn't it exciting? Yes, very exciting. I mean, he's he is Luxembourg and Belgian. Yes, um, but and he will be flying under the Belgian flag. I have to say. Yeah. However, he Never mind. He, he was born in Differdange. And um, I think I think he be, can be counted as one of our own. So, yes, the European Space Agency um, announced six new astronauts and he was one of them, um, as well as a British uh, Paralympic uh, sprinter who will be the first um, disabled astronaut. So yeah, I thought that was very exciting. Yeah, it's amazing. We should say um, his name is,
0: uh, well, you can probably pronounce it better than I, it's Raphael Léjoie—that's
1: yeah. what I was calling him. It's probably—I don't know. I'm sure it's Léjoie. Yeah, I was never sure. It was Léjoie or Léjoie? Léjoie. It looks like joies. Les joies. Les joies. Les joies. Thank you. Thank <laughs> yes. you so much, Julie. Yeah. Well, that's what we thought.
0: But we're, yeah. Well, wonderful, wonderful. He's uh, working in Geneva at the moment, and um,
1: yeah, just great to see as this. As yeah. And the other interesting um, fact, sorry, to go on about the the conference that was taking place yes. in, in Paris this Correct. this week, yeah. mm-hmm. For Issa. was that uh, yes, Isa are. Uh, Investigating putting uh, power satellites out in space so that would be the same as having a power station here. So it would, um, we would get energy from space. And I thought that was a very exciting new move. Brilliant idea.
0: Yeah. Brilliant idea. Yes. Yeah. Um,
1: not quite sure how all of that would work, but I'm sure it can work and it sounds fascinating. Well, they're trying to find out whether you can beam electricity wirelessly from <laughs> space. But, and it's a three year research project. But,
0: what if do you it, think, Steffia? You
1: probably have a view on this. Can it be done?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's about using some light or laser technology. I don't know exactly in the details, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You just you just have to concentrate the energy on a on a you know air transport media, uh, which is probably something related to light. Or, well,
1: there there is our future. It sounds expensive to have solar farms in space, but it would be amazing, I reckon.
0: I don't know if it would be expensive getting them up there and um, maintaining them, but uh, it's it's. Uh, it,
2: it, it, it's always expensive. The, the expensive part for it, us is to getting leave it Earth. up there. Yeah, yeah. There. But when he's there, he, he can't yeah, it's there, it can stay and operate for. For quite some time, so
0: yeah, getting yeah. through the atmosphere is the expensive bit, and making sure it works and not losing the money there. But
2: <laughs> and then you have the full access to the solar energy. Yeah. So that that's the beauty because here is filtered by the atmosphere.
0: Yeah, clouds and all that, even sand. Because you know, when I did live in Abu Dhabi, you know, you, you can imagine a lot of sunshine. They have a lot of uh, solar fields, but they have them very low to the ground, and they actually talking about migrant labor. God bless the poor people they had to brush the sand off these solar panels. Oh, because it would, of course, it would yeah. interfere,
1: wouldn't it? Yes. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, let's change
1: entirely uh, a completely different story. Bullfighting in France. I thought this was very interesting mm. because it reminds you that it actually is still legal. So, um, Surpri- yeah. <laughs> yes. So, uh, there's been a movement in France to ban bullfighting, and um, one MP had it tabled in Parliament for Thursday, but in fact it didn't happen because so that so many amendments were brought five hundred oh that, that that it was not possible to even debate the issue. My goodness! So the government five hundred amendments. How yes. many days would that take to get yes. through? So that's obviously. It, I mean, it's like, uh, it's a, what's it called? It? Stalling, uh, yeah, stalling mechanism. Yes, stalling Well, apparently the government is against um, a ban because it's it's this um, showing sort of Paris and the countryside. They don't want to be too associated as being city versus
0: oh, country. Tony and country.
1: The, because the, the feeling in the bull towns in the south, like Arles and Nîmes, um, is is that it would be it would could turn into an anti-government protest rather than an actual bull, oh. uh, something about bullfighting? So it's kind of become a, a separate issue, and people feel very very strongly in those towns for it. Whereas, of course, the general French population, uh, according to surveys, seems to be very much against it. Yeah. Um, but it's it's interesting all these kind of traditions. That people don't want to give up. I mean, it has now been banned in in Catalonia, yeah. and it's only uh, allowed in certain parts of Spain. And um, I think it's been banned, for example, um, in 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 Colombia, Ecuador, Bolivia. So there are many countries where where it isn't legal. Yeah. Um, so, but, but the French can't get it through.
0: That it brings in other. It's it's not about the bullfighting it's more about other topics behind that that's always interesting actually
1: Well I think it's, it reminded me a bit of the fox hunting debate in the oh, UK yes. which again yes. there was nothing really to do with the actual hunt it was a Elite country country town yeah. thing yeah. and elitism and yeah. yeah Yeah you're right it always brings in other other things
0: Another lovely story, and it just shows us how fast time moves. It's eighty years since Casablanca was
1: first screened. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, and it's still one of the most popular films ever, ever made, and and you know, I, I suppose, and the most. I think it is the most iconic and famous film ever made. It 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 didn't just catch the zeitgeist of that moment 80 years ago, you know, during the war, um when when the allies were actually uh, attacking Europe through through North Africa, so in 1942, it obviously still this the love story, the everything it's it still captures young people's imagination. And the moment of Hollywood,
0: that time where Film was such a powerful medium because we didn't have all of the other things that we have on these phones and there wasn't instant
1: instant access to everything. It was just, they were the superstars of the day. Absolutely. And interestingly, it was, um, I didn't realise this, I assumed it probably was filmed in Casablanca, but uh, obviously it wasn't. It was all filmed in a studio, in Warner Brothers Studio in California. And, uh, but in uh, 2004, uh, a a replica was opened, uh, a replica bar, Rick's bar, was opened in, in Casablanca, Casablanca and all tourists that go there assume this is where it was filmed because it's absolutely spot on. You know, it's got the piano, it's got the lights. It's well, good for Casablanca. They should absolutely have
0: something like that. Um, and then our final story, or perhaps one of
1: the final stories, um, airlines are recruiting again. Yes, so after the pandemic, you know, so many airlines laid laid off their staff, and there are some airlines who who laid off their staff more than others. Lufthansa, I know, were. Uh, and looking for 20,000 people across Europe. That's a lot of people. This week, so they've started recruiting. But the one that really captured me, maybe it's my age, uh, was EasyJet, who are recruiting people over 45. So they're looking for empty nesters.
0: Love it. Um, So good. uh, Finally, people realise. Yes. That women can have a second life after family and that we still have brains and we still have a lot to go for us. And we just may have lost a bit of confidence if we've been at home looking after children. But it
1: doesn't mean we haven't been working very hard. And looking for new challenges. I think that's the thing, you know, reliable, looking for new challenges. So I love that. I love this story. I wonder whether... I would imagine it would be very, very successful. I mean, if you're on a flight, you know, being, be with, with yeah. seeing uh, air, air stewards. Um, I think we, do we say air stewards now? I can't remember. Anyways, um, <laughs> yes, flight attendants. Oh, yes, <laughs> that's the word. Um, of a certain age, I would feel very reassured, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think it's wonderful, and I think it's the future
0: to bring back um, all all of these great minds. You know, if they've been at home looking
1: after families mostly women but not entirely women well i mean it's, to be cynical as well of course after brexit uh you know the uh uk has had major recruitment issues and um and of course easyjet is mainly recruiting in the uk so they've lost a million workers after brexit wow. so it that uh, to be cynical, they're they're looking wherever they can. Um, so they've they've finally landed they've on the million, sensible a million agreement. A million workers, a million. Not uh, the UK has yes. Oh, right. sorry, not 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 EasyJet. <laughs> no, no, the UK has lost uh, a, a workforce of yeah. over a million yeah. Um, yeah. after Brexit. Sorry, so I was
0: thinking EasyJet was a lot bigger than I was. Oh expecting. no, no no. <laughs> No, no. No, I was thinking that puts Lufthansa's 20,000 into perspective. Okay. Well, um,
1: any final things, any tips of the week that we should be looking for? Oh, well, I talked about Christmas markets last week. So I, I was thinking um, there's a musical about Cole Porter that's uh, going to be out this weekend and it's by Pirate Productions. And I think it sounds really fun. It's about the life of Cole Porter. And very impressively, they've written their own music. Oh, wow. Yes. And, you know, written, I mean, they will use uh, Cole Porter songs, but it's it's their own script and musical adaptations. So it's well, an that's original. Well,
0: brave if they've written their own music to kind of parallel
1: Cole Porters. Well, no, I don't, sorry, I shouldn't have said music, It's, it's, but it's their own musicals using oh, yes. Cole Porter songs but their own Brilliant. dialogues and I think and and the, the, uh, adapting the music. Super, probably. oh well. But it sounds really fun, so Cole that's Pirate Productions and I think the first performance is tonight and over the weekend. Wonderful.
0: Well, Sasha, thank you so much as always and we look forward to uh, some more positive Christmassy news next week. <laughs> See you then. Thank you. The Lisa Burke Show. Well, now I'm delighted to introduce uh, my next guest. It is Kate Buckridge, who is a Senior Research Associate at Luxembourg Institute of Science and Technology, LIST. And before joining LIST in 2021, she got her PhD in ecosystem ecology from Queen's University in Canada, where she researched how increased snow depth alters Arctic tundra nitrogen cycling. She worked at a, as a postdoctoral researcher in the US and the UK, investigating the impact of Arctic permafrost. Thaw on soil microorganisms, climate warming, and boreal nitrogen and carbon cycling, and agricultural grassland land use intensity on microbial physiology. I think I'll have to stop there,
3: Kate. <laughs> the words are just going to get harder and harder.
0: Kate from Canada, wonderful to have you with us here in Luxembourg.
3: Thank you, but it's Kate from Luxembourg now. Kate from
0: Luxembourg, yes, absolutely. And we're so happy because we had a little chat on the phone and we were thinking, how many researchers are there in Luxembourg from Canada?
3: I did know a couple when I first moved here, but they've left. Because, of <laughs> course, the academic and research field is really tentative. People yes. are constantly turning over. Yeah. So I'm still looking to meet some more now. Well, we're putting the <laughs> message
0: out there. Please, Canadians, Luxembourg is a lovely place to come and study and to, to be a researcher. So now, of course, the focus of your work has been soil, not just soil, but talk, talk us through the importance of soil.
3: Mm, There's lots of importances. So um, I guess when I started my career, I thought about soil as uh, part of an ecosystem. So it's where all the plants are growing from. The microbes are living that are exchanging gases with the atmosphere. So greenhouse gases. Um, They're also, uh, the microbes that live there are making the nitrogen that is feeding the plants and so allowing plant growth. And so there's a, you know, the plants are giving the microbes carbon with their litter and their, the roots and then the microbes are making the nitrogen and the phosphorus for the plants. And so there's a nice cycle going on there. And so that was where I started was thinking about the whole ecosystem, how the soil, the plants and the atmosphere are all relating um, and how that was influenced by climate change. But now uh, here, and also while I was in the UK, I was working more with uh, agricultural sites. And in this case, uh, these are managed situations where humans have inputs. We add nitrogen. Um, we control what plants are growing there. And now we, uh, Now it's more about how these plants are interacting with the microbes to do things like sequester soil carbon. Just pausing there. Sure. I
0: mean, adding nitrogen, that's the fertilizers that we are adding. Yes. Do you think we should be doing that? Uh,
3: I mean, of course, it it, it depends what your outcome is. I mean, if you you want to grow plants for crops. Yeah, feeding the world is what I'm thinking. Nitrogen's fed our current population, so... Um, it's not good for the atmosphere, but it, it's feeding us. So it depends what your perspective is. That's a really difficult philosophical question in that case. But agriculture is very difficult. It both feeds us and it causes a lot of damage to the environment. So uh, it's a very difficult conundrum,
0: yeah, yeah. so carry on then. so you're you're there and you're you're now thinking about this cycle and the nitrogen that's input. And from there, what next?
3: And the microbes that are growing in the soil, Uh, and how they both live and die in the soil and when they die they make uh, soil carbon just like the plant material that dies makes soil carbon and so that's how can we maximize that to make more carbon stay in the soil as opposed to being released to the atmosphere because of course we care about the co2 that's being released to the atmosphere and also the amount of carbon that we can trap or sequester into the soil and how can that be done um, well, there's lots of ways that can be done. Uh, we actually call solar carbon sequestration a negative emission technology. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's an objective. Have you, have you heard of the 4P, 4 p per mil? No. Okay, it's, uh, <laughs> it's about 10 or 15 years old, a movement to, or a philosophy that came out of France that's now global. The understanding that if we could, in theory, um, sequester 4 per mil, 4 per thousandth mm-hmm. uh, of, of the carbon that's... Uh, more or increase our sequestration of carbon into the soil by four per thousandth, um, we could actually uh, offset all of the CO2 that's currently uh, in the atmosphere. And if that was calculated 10 to 15 years ago, is that still true? Uh, Yes. But the point is, it's not actually that easy to do this. The four one thousandths of the carbon in the soil is actually a really large amount. And it's very difficult to do this without completely changing Agriculture
0: and, and changing the cycle that you've just spoken about. Exactly. Well, I mean, it's important to talk about soil because it, it might sound like we're just talking about soil, but we're not just talking about soil. We're really talking about the climate and everything is connected. Exactly. And I did an interview with Sadhguru uh, not so long ago, just a few months ago, where he's been on this world tour to really increase thoughts in the general public around the importance of soil for so many reasons.
3: Yes, because actually, so carbon sequestration is just one reason, of course, the other is soil health and soil biodiversity and increasing um, all of the ecosystem services that soils providing, like that exchange of gases, growing food, um, providing uh, unknown unknown uh, genomic uh, reservoir that we've only identified the genomes of a really small proportion of what's in the soil and we don't even know the capabilities of what's there so it's kind of like the um
0: medicine under our feet almost yeah exactly yeah we're only beginning to understand the forest as well and the the whole communication that you have between the the fungi as i've read but anyway that's a, that's another story so also you have a conference coming up uh, very soon on soil sustainability
3: Yes, it's a second conference. The first one was last year, also around World Soil Day, because World Soil Day is December 5th, um, which, of course, everybody knows about. (laughs) We do now. (laughs) Yes, so on December 2nd at uh, the... Technoport in Belleval will host a list this year. Was, last year we did it alone. This year we're going to do it together with the Ministries of Agriculture and Environment to host a, a World a Soil Sustainability Conference. And
0: that's open to anybody.
3: Anybody can come and we'll also serve you a nice lunch. And Very good. It's always good to have a nice lunch.
0: Um, and tell us more about your project then here called ADAPT.
3: Uh, okay. So I'm going to actually be a speaker. Uh, at the conference, so I'll tell you more about it then, too. But uh, the idea is uh, when we when we sequester soil or, or sequester carbon in soil, we do certain things in agriculture, like, for instance, plant cover crops, which is what the project that, that um, my ADAPT project will do. We'll try with co-create with a farmer a method to increase the number of cover crops. So that means that instead of just the main cash crop, you always have the ground covered with some other crop. Usually it's got some nitrogen fixers in it, so you're increasing the amount of carbon that's going into the soil all the time. Um, But, of course, there's a a difficulty with this because this is good for soil carbon. It also increases the amount of nitrous oxide. So that's another greenhouse gas that is actually... Uh, less um, it's not impactful
0: a, than carbon dioxide or uh, more
3: impactful but at lower concentration in the atmosphere right but it's really the main contributor of nitrous oxide is agriculture from fertilizers so it's something that um, both luxembourg and the eu in general has uh, promised to reduce um, in their climate promises so so when you're talking about this carbon sequestration, if
0: that's the word I'm using correctly, (laughs) you have to be always balancing it with the other gases that are emitted from the ground. Exactly. So where is the research at the moment? Because I know we are always talking about carbon dioxide, but as you just mentioned, it is far from the only greenhouse gas. It's just the one we talk about the most.
3: (laughs) Yes. And in in agriculture, um, we tend to talk more about carbon farming now, but of course, nitrous oxide has always been an issue in farming and um, me- nitrogen in methane general. Methane
0: when it comes to the animals.
3: And methane, exactly, especially from the cows. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> so um, I guess the the research right now is about balancing those two. That's what the ADAPT project is about. And also thinking if the ADAPT project is also about thinking about them, for me, the microbial mechanisms of carbon sequestration. So how microbes live and die in the soil and their physiology so how efficient they are at keeping carbon versus releasing because the microbes are both the source of co2 as well as the their biomass the way they grow and die and stay in the soil and how they Absorbed to mineral surfaces. I know this is getting a bit crazy, but this is this is how, what we have to think about. Yeah. How does that carbon stay in the soil? And how do we treat the soil to make sure it stays in the soil? So.
0: Well, now, bringing it back to, to normal people like me, <laughs> um, when we hear about all of this and we're reliant on your wonderful work, we can feel a little bit useless and helpless. What can normal people who are not farmers and not researchers, what can we do to make a difference?
3: I mean, I think in general, thinking about soil... Health, um, and maybe you don't talk about it all the time, but the, the reality is, it's more organic matter, is another in word instead of carbon. Just the healthier your soils are, the more organic matter that's going in there. But most people aren't even actually touching soil on a daily basis, so it's more then about the your the markets. It's thinking about what you what food you buy, um, and. Uh, so I, I like to say more about the positive things of soil. But the, the reality is, is there's difficulties with agriculture. And if we can try to buy food local yeah. from locally produced food, if we can try to buy organic food, and if we can think a little bit more about how much uh, CO2 went into the production of that food. So eat less red meat, try to eat less dairy, you know, keep your um, your think of your diet from uh, carbon. Yeah. Footprint. So, so
0: more veg. More veg fruit, exactly. <laughs> well, I also wanted to just tip on the work that you did before this work. I, I'm very interested in your work with the Arctic permafrost thawing, because of course that is another issue when it comes to the climate. What did you see there? I mean, how is it that you can't get depressed with your work because you're probably seeing climate change on a on a research basis every day?
3: Um, well, well, I guess. It's not that it's depressing, but I do feel a little bit more empowered working in uh, agriculture than working in natural systems. Because in natural systems, it's true, you're just uh, cataloging the decline. Whereas in managed systems, you can provide feedback to make differences. That's me personally. But but there's no trade-off for working in the Arctic. It's beautiful. It's an amazing place to be. Um,
0: Tell us about some of your experiences there.
3: Uh, I don't know. What to, uh, there's... Describe the, the vast yeah. o- openness of the tundra. It's really gorgeous. Um, it's quite hostile, so there's always the threat. In, depending where you are, that either grizzly bears or polar bears. Um, you saw them, I'm sure. Yeah, but from a distance. <laughs> Gladly. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Um, it's 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 sort of indescribable. I I think if everybody should have a chance to go, but of course that. Uses a lot of carbon, so
0: at least we can see the photos. and And what did it make you feel when you were working out there? What kind of takeaways did you get in yourself as a person, or scientifically?
3: It's changing rapidly. Yeah, so even in the uh, ten years or so, fifteen years I was in the Arctic, you could see changes um, from one year to the next. So. Um, and you hear the stories too of the people who live up there all the time about things changing, especially permafrost thaw, but of, of course also the timing of uh, timing of thaw and how that changes and interacts with the the birds and the the plants. So it, there's a, it's very palpable.
0: And what does that mean? If the permafrost thaws, what does that mean to the ground and the soil that is uh, uh, opened up to the atmosphere?
3: So there's a there's a some quite a lot of research that suggests that these episodic um, events are much more impactful than the slow gradual changes. And so we talk about methane bubbles or release of methane from the atmosphere. Um, of course, when you have permafrost law, depending on the kind of permafrost law, you also get a lot of leaching of nitrogen and phosphorus to the waters, which then makes its way eventually to the ocean. It cha- it's changes everything globally. So, uh, Could could you leave us with a positive thought? I know. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: well, you, can, you can pause and think about that positive thought or something. What can we do towards... Uh, it's coming up to Christmas time. What can we do... Um, I suppose you're going to say travel-less.
3: <laughs> no, I want to say... I, I do want to say that soil carbon research right now, and that's what mostly the conference that is going to be about, is actually really hopeful because it is a negative emission technology and we can do things differently to make... in agriculture and soil science, to make a difference towards sequestering carbon and having positive effects... Oh, well, Kate. So that's, that's my hope, That's wonderful. Yeah. So let's encourage everybody to, to at least
0: educate ourselves to go to the conference uh, on soil sustainability in Technopur on the 2nd of December. You can see Kate speaking there in action. You can talk to her and we can all learn more. And at least by educating ourselves, we're more empowered in that small, small way. But we're relying on people like you to, to make a difference to our world. Thank you. Thank you so much, Kate. Thank you. The Lisa Burke Show. <clears throat> Now, my great delight to introduce my next two guests that you may already know. Most people in Luxembourg know Sergio Coronado, who is the Chief Information Officer at NATO Support and Procurement Agency. But we know him mostly because he is the lead coach and the founder of the Luxembourg Tech School, which was set up about six years ago to educate uh, 12 to 19-year-olds students to become future digital leaders. And we're also joined by Julie Tangeetan. Now, how do you pronounce your surname correctly? Tangeetan. Oh, (laughs) completely differently to how I was saying it. Um, Who is also working with the Luxembourg Tech School and she studied at the University of Vienna uh, with other universities included in that, with a master's in cognitive science. So welcome to you both. Thank you, Lisa. Well, now, Sergio, I have to start with you. For anybody who doesn't know the Luxembourg Tech School, give us a little background history.
2: Well, the story started... Six years ago, and and with the with the need of finding uh, the future generation that will replace the current digital leaders in Luxembourg, and and it, it's a difficult domain uh, where where we don't get people enough. You know, we have a, basically a, a critical shortage of of resources, so we look into the system, into the educational system. Where is the problem? Okay, and then we find out six years ago that there was not enough digital, not enough tech in the educational system, and then we 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 started to. In Luxembourg specifically? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, it's, it's globally, but we found um, uh, the interest was was here in Luxembourg to, to try to help the digital economy. And uh, we found that, that it was really, really bad. <laughs>
0: yeah, because that wasn't really high on the educational agenda in schools. So you set this up and you've made it in a wonderful, wonderful extracurricular activity open to obviously boys and girls, (laughs) both sexes because we need more females in the tech domain. You've got a fantastic team of digital coaches um, and you also bring um, the students who've gone through the process back as digital coaches as well. So it empowers them to become teachers as well. And I I love the way you organise it. So talk to us a little bit about the the teams that you create. So you're often doing projects or hackathons and they're really intense, uh, focused projects.
2: Well, th- there are different aspects that, that, that help the Luxembourg Tech School exist, okay? So the first one is the coaches. I mean, this is the team, and, and it's already a teamwork uh, that we try to to innovate and, and look into the content and, and make sure that what we teach to the students really works for them. So that's kind of one part. And then everything is done project-based. So the students have to come together and do things together. They have to teamwork and build solutions to help, you know, solve societal business problems. And the last piece is the sponsors, okay? Because although we starting by, by looking the problem in the educational system, the first support we go was for Digital Luxembourg and the Minister of Education. They say yes, you're right. Can you help us and and let's start this together? So we also have a, a community of sponsors today that help us to have the support and the resources to help the students and the coaches to to deliver. So it's is is a, a different different teams that that work together to make it happen for the students.
0: But you also allow the students to showcase and present in front of industry leaders because you have this sponsorship and great links with business. I've actually literally seen them standing there in front of incredible business leaders, giving them a wonderful opportunity to increase their, let's call them softer skills, but necessary skills. Um, In fact, some people wouldn't call them soft skills, being able to present in front of, uh, let's call them so-called important people, people who could influence their futures.
2: We don't, we don't advertise things in the program. We advertise the tech, okay, of course. which is, will attract them. Uh, but we do a lot of soft skills development. I mean, we give them the opportunity to kind of develop themselves, be independent, be able to show their work, be able to work in teams. And, and we do that uh, with events. You know, Events could be a hackathon, could be a demonstration, could be a competition. And, and, and the whole idea comes from, from a different way of teaching. Uh, let's say in the, in the normal education system, you study, you study, you have an exam. Uh, in LTS, you develop, you develop, you develop, and then you show, you demonstrate, and you compete with your work. So it's about your work.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then just talk us through the numbers from the beginning, six years ago, to where you are today, and how many schools that you partip- participate with.
2: Yeah, so, so we started um, with a small pile of group of 30 students uh, six years ago. It was around students coming from three different schools uh, today we are in the order of 200 210 depends and we are physically in 10 schools but we we take students also for for other schools that we are not present so we don't say no to the students with the only thing we ask them that they come to a school when we are physically there. So that's the only thing but we will not say no to students. So we have been growing. And then um, during COVID time we started also looking to other populations. Uh, we realised during COVID time that we were not reaching to all possible teenagers in Luxembourg, which was our original dream. And, and then we started um, looking after kids with the special uh, needs. So we have done a lot uh, with refugees and lately with autism.
0: And that's exactly where I want to turn to you Julie because I feel that you are in charge of this project so talk to us about this work reaching out to the refugee community here in Luxembourg and also children with autism and how they can get involved and, and have been involved with the Lux Tech School.
4: Um, it's actually not all the time been very easy because reaching out to the refugee uh, refugees is not always I mean it's, it, it's sometimes a question you know how to whom do, do we reach out to actually reach the children? So there's one way we were working with Red Cross, but lately we're also just trying to go more directly through the schools. So it's more harder for them to, to get to know that we exist and to, to know what we do. So um, to, to kind of get more refugees involved, we are just... Um now we just, what we did several times was just going to the schools and doing a little workshop. And then most of them, or a lot of them, liked them. Then, then afterwards, we were trying to look to to just get them involved in a class, maybe even at their own school. And um, in April, we started working with autism kids. Before, I tried other organizations as well, but it's really hard to reach out of the, to them. Uh, most of them, I find they underestimate the children they're just saying this is too hard for them we are not interested they cannot do this it's terribly
0: disheartening because that means to me that they don't understand
4: how their minds work I don't know I had the same uh, feedback also from some parents so but also parents telling me that a lot A lot of parents and teachers just underestimate the students. But I mean, apart from the coding, we do many other things with them, so they can benefit from our courses much more than just learning coding. So um, it's kind of a little bit sad noticing that they are not even willing to try. Um, But since the parents and the teachers, they are kind of in front of the children, we just cannot reach them if they don't want to. And then luckily enough, um, there were two organizations here in Luxembourg um, that work with autistic children that were interested it and they were saying okay let's just try it out and we've been working with them since and it's working out quite well so we have like a a younger group of children between 12 and 15 years old and but we also have one that is between 18 and 22 years old Um, both work very differently Um, you have to know if you're working so it's like I'm not an expert in autism at all but you learn when you start teaching them um, you actually get to know a lot about uh, about autism itself and you're also seeing that every student is really differently uh, impacted by, by autism. Um, well, it's a huge, broad spectrum. Yes, exactly. So it's not like... Uh, every one of them is different and it's for us the challenge is a lot how to adapt to them all and just um, make it fun for everyone because for me at least in my classes the most important for me is that they are having fun um, of course they should learn something but apart from coding they can learn many different things as well so um, it's when when they have fun during the class this is just a way how we keep them motivated to do something because if they are not motivated this is a bit different than with n- um, yeah, normal kids too. If they're not motivated, it's hard to 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 how to get them do something. But with them, it's even harder. So um, yeah,
0: I would have thought though, and, and you've been
4: living in the tech world uh,
0: for your entire career. Um, in my ignorance, but I would have thought that an autistic mind, even though I know it's a huge spectrum, would lend itself brilliantly to understanding how to code and that mathematical mind that you might need for coding.
2: This is only when you are on, on, on one side extreme of yeah. the spectrum, yeah. You know, because you have the other extreme when the, the cognitive capacity is very low. So it's only it's only in, in a piece, you know, when you move to, to that part of this of the spectrum. Uh, what I, what I think is interesting in in what Julie have have learned and experienced herself during during this time is. Is this idea that that we need to push hard, you know. Mm -hmm. We need to push hard because, of course, it's not easy to tell somebody that don't know you what you do to accept that you can help, you know. Mm -hmm. So a lot of, I would say, a lot of the rejection comes from simply you don't know. You know, so, so you get these people telling you coding, which the people we talk, they don't know themselves. So they will see, oh, you are, I mean, mentally, I imagine they think, well, you're asking something too hard that I don't know you're going to teach to kids. They have less capacity. So forget it's not going to work. So I think we, we, we were lucky to, to convince them to let us try, you know, and now it's the opposite. You know, people is asking, okay, can you do more? Can you help more? Uh, and I think... Also, for us, it's very important because I didn't knew, I mean, I have the idea that we could help, but I don't know how this could work. I mean, I read, there is research, we, we find information on the internet how to do it, but doing it <laughs> with real people is completely different because as Julie said, every human is different. Yeah. Uh, and saying when, when, when you look, everybody has a different kind of autism, you know, yeah. uh, the person is different, so you need to try. Uh, But then I think, and and, and I will ask Julie to to mention that now, because the the experience has been very, very um, incredible in the sense of how they are developing, okay? It's not about coding, it's about how they're also developing uh, as more active individuals.
0: Yeah, because um, uh, sometimes with autism, it's the social connection that is. So h- tell us about that, how that is, has altered for them through the work that you've done.
4: Yeah, actually, it's been quite surprising how the, how everything turned out. Because before we started working with the students, um, we were asking a little bit the teachers, uh, telling us, you know, can you give us tips? How do we do this? How do we approach them? How are they? Because, I mean, we didn't know anything about autism, like m- more concrete um, things. And they were like, don't touch them, don't try to look them in the eyes. And um, it was kind of scary. So the first time we we entered into the classroom, we were like, I was quite stiff because I I just didn't know. I was like, don't do that, don't do that and don't do that. But um, we were starting just the classes and just... And it turned out that they were quite communicative and more social than we were expecting or just from what people were telling us. I was I was thinking they cannot communicate at all. They are afraid of us. They don't want to see anyone. Um, They are super closed up. But no, that was really not the case. So um, I would say for 90 percent of the students we have, they are quite social and quite communicative through the work we are doing with them. So, as soon as we start, like, sometimes we even notice, like, before classes, um, they are still a little bit, like, mm, they don't want to talk to us. They are quite... um Reserved, but then when we start working on the sketches, they start opening up, they start asking questions, they want to show us what they are doing. So they are, Come, look, look what I did. I changed the colors, I did this. And then they want to know, How can I now do this? And they are really proud of the work they are doing and they want to share that with us. So during the class, we can really see most of the time that they are opening up, and um, this is really nice for us. You're giving them confidence and they're opening up and their communication is
0: opening up when they feel good about themselves and the work that they've exactly
4: exactly so what is really nice in in the in one of the groups they want to show us really everything they're doing if it's like only slight detail they're changing they are like yeah come here come here i want to show and then when it says wow that's really cool you can see that they're super proud and they even printed some of the sketches they did and just you know putting it on the walls and with the younger group that we are having, um, what we notice there a lot is we have one student in particular that is always very grumpy before we start the class. But then during the class, he starts like having those little smiles and he's he's getting like happier and that usually he leaves the class super happy. So this this is something we just noticed um, In the last months. And because I mean, when we when we only look at when we only look at the coding result, I mean, obviously, it's not like we are, um, they are like, creating super great stuff. um, But Um, We see all these other things happening, these positive effects that we are having on them and the benefits of this. And when we just see them like one guy being super grumpy, then we do the coding and the activities and then he starts laughing. He's never laughing and and leaving class happy. I mean, that's for us or for me, that's the the best thing we can do, reach in in a class like this.
0: And have you had any feedback from the parents or the teachers of these students?
4: Yes. So uh, when we started, um, the, um, the parents from the younger students, they were really happy about this. They were excited that we're the- we've never met them personally, actually, but we just got the feedback from the teachers that they are super interested and super grateful that we are doing something with the students. And we're asking about um, the platforms that we are using. So I feel like at least from the feedback that we got that they are quite happy. Yeah, that's
0: wonderful. And, uh, and hopefully it's changed the, the ideas of the capability of these students as well to the teachers that they're under. You've always got new projects in your mind, Sergio. What, what else have you got up your sleeve for 2023? You never rest. This man is just, never stops moving. You know, We nearly had a chat on Monday night, but you're busy rock climbing, I think, until 10.30 at <laughs> I don't know how many jobs you hold at the university, the tech school, your NATO job. There's just, just so many and your full-time family life. So... How do you do it all?
2: <laughs> so, but to answer the last question, it's, it's a teen, uh, it's not me, I mean, it's, it's Julie's… And you're yeah, humble, yeah, yeah, yeah. very humble
0: on top of it all. <laughs>
2: you always need a teen to, to, to work with, okay, so so that's one of the secrets. Second is… is to like what you do so i mean you you see the passion that, that Julie is putting on this this is the secret uh, okay to to make things happen now looking into the future um we want or i want to grow this part i mean autism or others uh, that are out there that we're not reaching yet uh so we are open to that so if there is any association there the things that we can help uh, please reach out to to the Luxembourg Tech School. Uh, we will be happy to to try uh, and see how that works. So that's one area. The second area I want to grow is uh, research uh, in the work we do, and this is also to give um, the opportunity to the coaches and the students to to do you know to 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 go back to their work and see how better we can do. Uh, I think we, we, we have the need to to look into the things we do and, and research a little bit more to, to go better. Uh, I think our students will be benefit for sure but but uh, also the coaches um, can develop themselves there so it's also, uh, given that playground, I call it. Um, I've been working on that already for for two years. So, so this is this is this is the next track
0: <laughs> in your free time. <laughs>
2: and, and we are recruiting two people for that. So,
0: <laughs> okay, so a, a recruitment call out then. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. So in the website there are two two positions published as as I speak. Um, uh, one for research and one for for a tech uh, um, uh, educator. And
0: and when you uh, say research, what do you mean precisely?
2: It, it it's it has two faults. Um, it has the fault to first get our younger, very young kids to to do research. Okay, um, some people call this early research, but the way they talk, early research is like twenty five. Uh, I'm talking about fifteen. Okay, doing research with fifteen on. So, so that's one part, and that is paired with us, with the coaches, okay? And then the research is dependent on the coaches, you know, so I'm doing things in, in artificial intelligence, for example. Uh, so, so I have this interest on in knowledge, so I think if, if, if well, I have, I've been doing it already, so when, when I pair myself with, with, with these younger brains, I mean, the output is, is very powerful. Um, and I see traction also in the society to do that.
0: That's absolutely fascinating. So you're talking about bringing in the young minds, the minds of the future that haven't been told how to research, let's call it like mm-hmm. this, to bring in their ideas for fruitful discussion for the work that you're actually doing.
2: Yeah, yeah. And and you find out, I mean, again, I always said, same for, for the LTS um, leadership program. We are not creating, you know, leaders or, teenage, or or engineers in one hour and a half per week. That That's not our goal. Our goal is to trigger... The curiosity on different subjects, different domains, different activities, different way of working and research is just one more. Mm-hmm. Okay. Give it a try. This is for you. If you experience a little bit, you have an idea. And, and as you grow um, as a person, and professional, you might develop that that area. The, the the secret that happened to me when I was a kid, I was exposed to many things. Mm-hmm. And then you find out what you love and what you're good at. Yeah, And then life takes you to to my five lives you know Uh, so that that's that's what i think we we need to do in lts we need to give them more uh, the more exposure to different domains as possible and different roles the people then can find what they are good at. of course we are keeping in tech because we cannot do other domains (laughs) we will never finish um
0: well i'm going to turn to to kate here what do you think about his ideas in in bringing in the young minds 15-ish year olds upwards to to combine with the the minds of those working in the field when it comes to researching new ideas?
3: I mean, that's really important, actually. I I think it's different if we're talking about soil science or IT, but it's still always the issue for research that we need not only new ideas, but um, more interdisciplinary thinking, I guess. And so when when you have people coming from a... uh, without all of the ingrained teaching from academia, and they're coming in to to give you new ideas and the way they see the world in a different way... um, it makes everything change. It shifts everything. So,
0: When you're thinking about your work and you talk to lots of different people in your field and even people who don't know anything about what you do, where do you find your most fruitful, insightful ideas?
3: Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of old school not. that. I like to read other people's papers but try to work, read papers from outside of my discipline a little bit. Uh, that's a way to be creative, thinking about so the cross- new ways to approach a problem.
0: Cross-disciplinary work yes. and thinking. Yeah, yes. well that's something that you've always uh, had in the Luxembourg tech school. You've always had teams that are built with different uh,
2: domains. Th- that's one of uh, we, are, we are not a coding school. So we attract we attract kids and teenagers that want to do something, that want to work hard. <laughs> and and then we bring the tech as as the background, but it's all about business domain like gaming, big data, fintech, uh, robotics, space. yeah, space, um, and, and AI for creativity and art, uh, 3D modeling. So we try to give them uh, more, more as a business purpose and then the tech that you use that. So it's also to change the traditional way of teaching coding, which was... It's only for a specific mind. 10% of the minds are are like me, wired to be extremely logical. So then you you, you do really the hard coding and then you understand. But that doesn't work for the the rest of the population. And at the same time, you need multi-skills. So, for example, our gaming module is is kind of our top um, activity and that you need strictly the the only way to create a game is if you have multi-skills. Somebody have the idea, somebody design the play game, somebody design the characters, somebody design the music, and maybe somebody code the game.
0: Well, you need the team. It's all about teamwork. And uh, for my little team here this morning, thank you all so much. Any final thoughts as we head into the weekend? How can people get in touch with you for these jobs uh, to be part of the group in any way, whether they just want to join one of the groups or whether you want to reach out to more organizations? What's the best way to get in touch with you?
2: Uh, Reach to our website, which is www.techschool.lu. And then you can reach us from there.
0: Yeah, well, it's super work. Thank you so much, Julie, for talking about the wonderful work that you're doing, changing people's lives, both the refugees and the autistic children as well. And of course, Kate, well, we're going to hopefully have lots of people coming to the Soil Conference. I hope so. In Technopore, where we can learn much more about how it's related to our lives and climate change. And... So much that we don't know about yet, which is why we have wonderful researchers like you. And to all the wonderful listeners out there, thank you so much for listening. You can always get in touch, of course, through the website as well, through RTL Play, through all of the social media sites. You can get in touch with me directly through those lines as well. And to Sasha, who's just in the corner after a long week of work. Thank you so much for the reflection of the week's news as well. And we wish you a wonderful weekend whether you're going to stay in Luxembourg and visit the Christmas markets or start that Christmas shopping which I have not started yet or let's let's think about it sustainably to think about Christmas in a sustainable way and we can uh, recycle some of our things at home or make things uh, always a better way. So thank you all for listening and I wish you a lovely weekend and week ahead. Lisa
1: Burke on RTL Today Radio.